Well, church, this morning uh, we are continuing on in our uh, Epiphany sermon series entitled Jesus Revealed, where we are looking at the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John and are considering what he wanted to communicate to us through these signs that he has given. And this Sunday, uh, as we come to the fourth sign that John presents to us, we we come to, to one of the most famous stories in all of the scriptures. In fact, apart from the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning, this is the only miracle that Jesus performed that is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts which indicates that there's, there's something significant about this event that all four of the gospel writers wanted to communicate to their readers about Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to seek to understand what that is. But what did Jesus want to communicate through the miraculous feeding of the 5,000? And the way that we're going to determine that is by looking at five aspects of this story. Okay? But we're going to consider the significant trial that was before Jesus, the simple test that was given by Jesus, a small tribute that was given to Jesus, a satisfying taste that was given through Jesus, and lastly, a surprising turn orchestrated by Jesus, okay? I know that sounds like a lot. Some of them are very short points, I promise. Uh, But we're going to look at a significant trial, a simple test, a small tribute, a satisfying taste, and a surprising turn. This passage is found in John chapter 6. And so if you have Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me as we jump into this story together. And we begin this morning with with a significant trial that was before Jesus. Now, in order for us to understand the the context of this passage and how serious the situation was, we need to piece together some of the information that's given in the various gospel accounts of this event in order to get the full picture of what was really going on here. We learn in verse 1 of John chapter 6 that at the beginning of this story, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But Matthew and Luke flesh that out a bit more for us, describing this place to which Jesus went as being a desolate place. They tell us that Jesus was trying to to draw away by himself. After he had heard the news of John the Baptist's death, he was wanting to retreat and to be alone. And so he went out far away to a remote place where there wasn't anything else around where there wouldn't be any distractions, where he wouldn't be bothered. He went to a desolate, deserted place. But because of the signs that he had been performing and the healing that he had done on those who were sick, large crowds were trying to follow him everywhere he went. People were paying attention to the signs. Jesus had created a stir, and people wanted to be close to him. They wanted to have what he had to offer. And so Matthew tells us that even though Jesus had gone far out of the way to a remote and desolate place, once the people heard about where he had gone, they followed him from all of the surrounding towns. It was about 5,000 men who followed him out into the wilderness, John tells us. Matthew notes that there were also women and children present. So the crowd wasn't 5,000 people. It was probably closer to to 20,000 people or more. It was a huge crowd. 
Imagine the PNC arena full of fans out in the middle of nowhere. That's what we're talking about here. Once the crowds arrived, rather than sending them away because Jesus wanted to be on a retreat, Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And so he continued to minister to them, teaching them and healing the sick. And apparently this church service ended up lasting most all day because Mark describes the hour as growing late when the disciples realized that something needed to be done with this crowd. And and, and so with all of that information, the, the scene is really set. Jesus and his disciples had gone to a very remote, desolate area, far away from the surrounding towns and villages. A huge crowd had followed them out there, many of them women and children. And after a long day of being out in the elements, when the hour grew late and the people were hungry, the disciples realized that a significant problem had arisen. In light of these challenges... The three other gospel accounts record that the disciples came to Jesus and and told him he needed to wrap things up. They told him, you need to send these people away so that they can have their needs met before it gets too late and we're in real trouble. They're basically asking Jesus, what are we going to do with all of these people? There was a mass of humanity in front of them who were facing real and pressing needs. What were the disciples to do with them? In this moment, there was a significant trial before Jesus. And this significant trial before Jesus led to a a simple test given by Jesus. In response to the disciples' concern, we're told in verse 5 and 6 that Jesus tested the disciples. When he asked Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? That must have been a frustrating question for Philip because there was nowhere nearby in which they could go and buy bread. They were in a desolate area. And even if there was a place in which they could have purchased bread, they wouldn't have had the resources to do so. Philip reminds Jesus of this when he states that 200 denarii wouldn't be enough for each person to even get a little. 200 denarii was about eight months of wages. So in our day, it would be the equivalent of tens of thousands of dollars. And even that, if they had had it on them, even that wouldn't have satisfied the need. It would have only provided a taste. And so here, Jesus basically tests Philip with a question to which there is no earthly answer. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? The only realistic answer was nowhere. There's nowhere to buy food for these people. And there's no resource with which to buy food for these people. Jesus asked a question to which there was no realistic solution. Now, we're not given any insight into what Jesus was thinking with this test. We don't know exactly what he was wanting to accomplish with this question. Maybe the test was to see what the disciples had been learning from their time with Jesus thus far. This was about halfway through his life in ministry. Maybe this was kind of like a midterm exam. (laughs) Were they learning how he worked? Were they learning to trust in his provision? Would Philip look to his own limited and insufficient resources to solve this problem? Would he worry and panic about the situation? Would he look to Jesus for help? We don't know exactly what this test was intended to accomplish, and we're not given any insight into how Jesus graded Philip's performance in this test. We simply know 
that Jesus had a plan in mind already for how he was going to address this situation, but he asked the question anyway. And that makes me wonder how often Jesus gives us similar types of tests. When we face problems that are seem too big to solve, when we face circumstances where there appears to be no possible answer, when we find ourselves in situations where our meager resources wouldn't come close to solving the challenges that are before us, how do we respond in those situations? How often do we find ourselves in situations like Philip, facing impossible circumstances and being asked by Jesus, how are we going to fix this challenge? Where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? How do you respond in those moments? When this story, Jesus shows us how we should respond. In response to this simple test, Jesus sends the disciples out to find a small tribute. In Mark's account, Jesus sends the disciples to go and to see what resources they could find. And so the disciples engaged the community around them and considered what assets were available to help with the problem that was before them. They looked for whatever resources they could bring to bear on the situation. While searching the crowd, Andrew found a a young boy who had packed five loaves of bread and two fish for the journey. Acknowledging that it was almost nothing, they brought it to Jesus anyway. They must have been almost embarrassed to present such a small offering before such a great problem. But they did what Jesus asked them to do. In the face of this challenge, they looked for what they could find, and they brought what they had, and they presented it to Jesus. In response to the significant trial, a small tribute was given. And with that small tribute, Jesus provided a satisfying taste. The story tells us that when Jesus took the loaves and the fish, he gave thanks to God for them, and he broke them. And then he had the disciples distribute the elements to the people. And then Jesus gave them more and more and more and more and more until the thousands upon thousands of people who were there had all of the fish and all of the bread that they wanted. Jesus provided so much bread and so much fish that there ended up being basketfuls left over. There was more at the end than there was at the beginning. And this miracle... That Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed the multitudes until they were full. He took a small tribute and turned it into a satisfying taste. And that is what really ends up being the surprising twist to this whole story. <laughs> that it is the small tribute that becomes the satisfying taste. That's the surprising turn. Because think about it. Why would Jesus do that? It was completely unnecessary for Jesus to take the boy's bread and fish. He didn't need those elements in order to multiply them and to provide for the crowds. This is the Lord of all creation that we're talking about. He was with God in the beginning when they spoke creation itself into existence. He could easily have said, 
let there be bread and fish. And there would have been bread and fish for all. And it would have been declared good by God. But for some reason, that's not how Jesus did it. For some reason, even though he knew what he was going to do before this situation even arose, his plan was to take the small, meager, in and of itself completely insufficient offering of this young child and use it to meet this impossible need. The surprising twist is that the small tribute becomes the satisfying taste. And this reality, it has profound implications for our lives. I mean, think about it. How many times in life have you bumped up against really significant trials where you don't know how to fix the problem that's before you and you don't have the the knowledge or the resources to even begin to know how to make a difference in the situations that we face? I mean, think about some of the examples that are right around us and in front of our face right now. For those of us who live downtown, we've all struggled with with the problems of of gentrification and affordable housing that that our presence here contributes to. Beginning last spring, our world faced the significant trial of a global pandemic, which no one knew anything about. This summer, our entire nation had its eyes open once again to the issues of racial injustice and, and inequality. It, it, it often seems like everywhere we look, there are significant trials that are far beyond our ability to make any kind of difference in a situation. Whether it's the challenges that are faced in this world with poverty or policing or criminal justice reform or immigration or abortion or global warming or, or, or health care or, or whatever it may be, the list goes on and on and on. And those are just the problems that are out there. But we also end up facing significant trials where we don't know what to do or, or have the resources to help much closer to home as well. When a major health crisis arises. What do we do in that situation? When a marriage falls apart, what words do you have to speak into a a situation like that? When a loved one passes away, when there is personal devastation in our lives or in the lives of those that we love, we can feel just as helpless in those personal situations as we do in the big public ones, sometimes even more so. What could we do? How could we help? In a fallen and broken world, we will regularly face significant trials. And it is in the face of each of those significant trials where the Lord is going to give us a simple test. Where are we to find bread so that these people can eat? What can you do to engage the challenge that's before you? even though he knows that we could never fix those situations on our own, that left to ourselves, we couldn't even make a dent. Still, Jesus invites us to engage with the challenges that are before us. He invites us to bring whatever it is that we have to bring, our small loaves, our tiny fish, to bear on the situations that we face. He takes our small tributes and miraculously turns them into satisfying tastes. There have been some profound examples of this out of our little small community over the past couple of years. Just a few as examples. Five years ago, 
After struggling with with the affordable housing and the gentrification problems that they had seen in Southeast Raleigh, Josh and Grace Thompson, fully aware that they couldn't solve that problem on their own, offered their loaves and fishes to the Lord and started Good Neighbor Development. They gave some of their own money and they invited some of their friends to give some of their money also. And before long, God had multiplied the group from one couple to 20 different investors who were all offering some of their loaves and fishes to this significant trial. And with those small tributes, God has provided for five homes to be purchased, renovated, and then either sold or rented at an affordable price. And he has radically transformed five families' lives through that ministry, moving one family from homelessness to stable, affordable housing. It's a small tribute that brought a satisfying taste. Or there's the story of how Ben and Liz Fisher, after growing increasingly frustrated with the broken healthcare system and insurance companies, which were making healthcare unaffordable for patients and preventing doctors from being able to provide the care for their patients as they thought best, they started the Fisher Clinic. They offered their loaves and fishes. Ben's medical abilities. Liz went to nursing school. They took a significant risk, but they offered their resources to the Lord, and God has used it to to grow a wonderful community of of direct patient care, where health care costs are low, and where the doctor-patient relationship is preserved, where patients are receiving care that is actually what is best for them, not simply what is the most profitable. It's a model that's, that's growing. It's being multiplied. Ben and Liz are sharing about it with others. A small tribute. It's bringing a satisfying taste. Or there's the story of Marion Marian and Billy Troxler, who some 30 years ago were invited by a friend to, to engage the challenges that the under-resourced children in our community face. Ever since then, they've offered their time. They've given their resources. They, they've built relationships. They've given... They're loaves and fishes to a ministry called Loaves and Fishes. (laughs) They're currently pouring their lives into the lives of three high school girls, opening their home, sharing meals, taking them on trips. Billy and Marion are are giving what they can, and God is blessing it. A, A small tribute, bringing a satisfying taste. Church, there is story after story of the ways in which God is at work in our community and in this world taking the small tributes of loaves and fishes that we have to offer and and multiplying them, blessing them and multiplying them to bring satisfying tastes to the significant trials of our world. And while none of those examples ultimately solve the, the big picture, major problems that are facing our world in each of those areas, the good news for us is that it's not dependent upon us to solve the problems of this world. The responsibility isn't ours to fix things. We simply are asked to give what we have to offer. God already knows how he is going to ultimately resolve the big problems in our world. And in fact, he has already done that. That is the story of the scriptures. It's summarized in this and in every story in the Bible. That when God looked out on the mass of humanity stuck and stranded in a desolate place because of our sin, 
When he saw the significant trial that we faced and that we couldn't fix ourselves, God gave what he had to offer to the problem. He gave a small tribute, an embryo, planted in the womb of a virgin. With his life, Jesus offered himself in thanksgiving to his Father in heaven. Upon the cross, he allowed himself to be broken. And by his Holy Spirit, he has been multiplied and distributed to anyone and everyone who hungers for the bread of life. This is the good news of the gospel, that God has solved the major problem of our world through the offering of his Son. That through his small tribute, God has given a satisfying taste and removed the significant trial of our world, which is all rooted in our sin. The work has been done. The weight has been lifted. The problem has been solved. It's not up to us. God has done the work. And so as we wait for the final consummation of God's work in the world, our job is simply to give what we have to give to share what we have to share, to love in the ways that we know to love, to participate with Christ in the redemption of all things. And when we offer those things, when we give our loaves and fishes, when we offer our lives in thanksgiving to God and allow ourselves to be broken and distributed by Him to the world, He will use our small tributes to bring satisfying tastes to the significant trials that are before us. And so church, my prayer for us, as we consider this passage in light of the challenges of this world, my prayer is that like Andrew, we would have eyes to see, eyes that are able to see the various gifts that people around us have to offer. And that we would, we would be willing to call those gifts out and to bring them before the Lord to be used by Him. And my prayer is that, that like the young boy, that we would have hearts that are willing to give of the meager resources of our lives for the blessing of others, trusting that in God's hands, it will be enough. And, and my prayer is that, is that like the disciples, that we would have faith to be obedient to Jesus's instructions, to distribute these gifts, to, to, to bring them to bear on the crowds, even when we have no idea how they could ever be sufficient for the problems at hand, but that we would step forward in faith, trusting that the Lord is at work to make sufficient what we have to offer. And finally, my prayer is that we would be like the crowds, that we would find satisfaction in God's provision for our daily bread. Church, may, may we offer our small tributes to the significant trials, trusting in Jesus to transform them into a satisfying taste for God's glory and for our good. Amen.